Well, hello and welcome to the Hills. Welcome to everybody who's live at one of our campuses or joining us online or later on podcast. Uh, as our senior teaching pastor Rick just said, my name's Taylor. I'm excited to finish this series we've been in on the cross, but I also want to add my word of endorsement for this upcoming series. Uh, this, this message from, uh, from Rick has been brewing for some time, and I can't remember personally any time uh, when so much around our lives has been uh, deconstructed, upended, second-guessed, and while uh, much of that can, can provide new angles of, of kind of stripping away what shouldn't belong, I think that there is a timely word needed that brings us back to the roots of our faith in Jesus. And so I hope that you join me in, uh, in praying for what God's going to do through that series and that you will join us next week. And live at all of our campuses, uh, he's been on his, uh, his annual study break and coming back next week. Can we just uh, send a little message of love to our senior teaching pastor that we're looking forward to him being back? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Rick always hates when I do that, and I always love getting to do it because he has no control over it. So there you go, Rick. We love you. You can't stop us. Anyway, so um, I, I'm excited to finish this series, and at the same time, I'll confess that I'm standing here uh, under the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit and a lot of coffee because I'm a little bit jet-lagged. Uh, flew back yesterday from the West Coast after being there for an entire week, uh, getting to... Um, work at a, a student camp and help minister uh, with some of the team there at a camp that's called Crossways. My wife and I have got to be a part of it before with some worship and for me some, some speaking and teaching. Uh, and at the same time, they are long days. And then we also get to see family just a little bit when we're out there. And so uh, then there's later nights, uh, especially for me with, with family on the West Coast that I don't get to see here in state. And so, uh, so I'm, I'm a, a little bit worn out, and at the same time, uh, very, very grateful for the opportunity to get to see family, but then to get to be around these students at this smaller camp that's called Crossways that, man, this, this particular year, being in a series on the cross, uh, made me appreciate something about the camp that might even be considered a little bit old-fashioned, um, that on the first day of the camp, every student who's part of this is handed a small wooden cross on a string. And they uh, wear that cross throughout the entire week of the camp. And several times a day, all of the students will grab their cross, and hold it up, and they will recite together a memorized prayer about Jesus and the way of the cross. And having been involved with this for a number of years, I'd heard it lots of times, but this month it just made me appreciate again the beauty of being a community who share in the cross of Christ and, and some who know me better know that sometimes I'm prone to last-minute ideas, and I wondered, like, man, it would be awesome to just buy, like, thousands of crosses and just pass them out today, and Rick wouldn't let me have the church credit card, so here we are. But, um, no, I, I actually, seriously, I, I am not saying we all need the same piece of jewelry. I came from the uh, WWJD bracelet generation, and it didn't do wonders for us, so I'm just telling you. Uh, we don't need that. We don't need a particular kind of merch. That's not going to bring maturity. Uh, and we also don't even need to have a, a necessarily a same memorized type of prayer. But the point is that as I looked at this small community of students with their crosses, I saw a picture of a group of people who share in the same scandal, the same redemption, and the same message of the cross. And that's really been at the heart of this series the last four weeks 
If you're brand new, I'm so glad that you're here today or that you're listening in. And it may feel weird to jump in at the end of a series, but this is a great day for you to be here because we are going to talk about what is at the heart of our faith. And if you're exploring Christianity, we're going to talk about what is really at the center of the Christian faith. This series we've borrowed from the Apostle Paul's strategy in 1 Corinthians 2, to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Week one, we talked about the the foolishness of the cross. It doesn't make sense to us from a human standpoint. Week two, we talked about the atoning work of Jesus who sacrificed on the cross, died in our place, defeated sin. What did he accomplish? Week three, we talked about what it means to be shaped by the cross as followers of Jesus. And today, we are going to talk about the reconciliation that God brings through the cross. So, if you're taking notes, we're going to start here. The cross is how God restores relationship with humanity. This is perhaps the most basic way that you could talk about the cross. That this is tied to our relationship with God and God restoring relationship with humanity. There's lots of uh, different scriptures that talk about this. One example would be from the Apostle Peter who writes to Christians and says in 1 Peter 3, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's us, to bring you to God. This is part of the 101 of the Christian message. But if we're not careful, we may miss out on an an assumption that Peter and every other follower of Jesus, writing and inspired by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, operates under. This is a huge, huge assumption that they have. And if, if we don't pay attention, we might miss something huge. We might find ourselves like some whale watchers in 2020 who had a, a photo recently go viral of them out on a trip. Look at this photo. Yeah. And if we're not careful, we might, and the comments, the, the captions and comments had a lot of fun with this one, but... If we're not careful, we might try and look at the cross and then miss something huge, which is an underlying assumption. When it comes to the cross, there's many important things we can observe, but we have to address the whale behind the boat. Talk of repairing our relationship with God assumes, here's the huge assumption, something is desperately broken. Now, we've touched on this throughout this series, but We're going to face it head on right now. Listen to these words from Colossians 1, starting in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Jesus, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. When we listen to this, we have to understand our fractured relationship with God is the whale behind the boat. The the lack of peace Because we were enemies of God is the whale behind the boat. Now, for somebody who is newer to the faith or maybe even trying to figure out what you even think of the Christian message, 
this is a spot where it's probably going to be maybe uh, something that's high on, on the, the, the cringe factor scale for you. That this is going to be one of those like, man, that's, I, I, don't, know if, I don't know how I feel about that. That's, that seems uh, offensive. That, that, that seems judgmental. To have a passage talk about describing people as enemies of God, really? Maybe it sounds a little extreme. But what we have to understand is that for a moment, let's, let's allow ourselves to just hear the witness of the earliest Christians inspired by the Holy Spirit of what they had to say about our relationship with God because there's something we have to understand. Romans 5.8 uses very similar language, 8 through 11. Let me show you this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So Romans 5, this, these three verses make abundantly clear, and the rest of the chapter does as well, that there's good news to be had, reconciliation that's won through the cross. And at the same time, for a lot of us, this is a roller coaster of a passage. Starts really, really familiar with, all right, here's how God showed his love. Jesus died for us. And, and the majority of Christians, even those who would be even nominal Christians, would, would all go, yep, okay, sounds good. But... Right after that, here's what we have. This phrase, since we have been justified by his blood. What does that mean? Paul is using a metaphor from the court of law. So the Apostle Paul is trying to help a group of people understand what Jesus has done through the cross. And he goes to the metaphor of a law court. And inside a law court, the language of being justified means that you have been deemed by the judge of the court in the right. It means the judge has ruled in your favor. But we were God's enemies. So how were we deemed in the right? Well, the passage says, by Jesus' blood. Because of the cross, God rules in our favor as the eternal judge, finds us in the right and has no accusation against us. That is the good news. So that like, in, like we read in Colossians 1, that means we are free from accusation. This is part of the good news of the gospel. We talked about this in week two, that through Jesus' blood, our guilt is removed. Now, the reason this is good news is because of the whale behind the boat. Because without Jesus' blood removing our guilt, without God, the righteous judge, choosing to rule in our favor, we would be facing what comes next in this passage. How much more shall we be saved by God's wrath through him? So let's stop down again. God's wrath is going to go even higher on the cringe factor scale for, for those who are listening. Talk of wrath inside of church context, very quickly can make God sound angry and a, a bitter kind of divinity. But what, what I want us to do for a second is just unlearn something about God's wrath, shall we? 
especially for those who are live uh, at our campuses, for, for teenagers who are part of the Hills Church, I just want you to lean in real quick so we can unlearn something together. I'm going to borrow from, uh, from one theologian. God's wrath is not an emotion. It is God's righteous activity in setting right what is wrong. Okay, that's really, really important. God's wrath is not just a feeling. God's wrath is his activity in making things right. To borrow some language from a friend of mine I was talking to uh, this week, God's wrath is God's response to anything that doesn't belong in God's kingdom. So, so okay, let's, let's drill down for a second. Our Heavenly Father, listen close, our Heavenly Father is not some hot-tempered God with an anger management problem who gets so fed up with the world that he just needs to find an innocent victim to take his anger out on. That is a gross mischaracterization of the cross. No, God's wrath is righteous. It is just. And in fact, I want to say something that may sound extreme to you. God's wrath is a good thing. Here's what I mean. When there is an injustice could be a smaller, uh, on a smaller scale of, of someone we love who is wrongly mistreated, or when an innocent person or people group is harmed or oppressed, it is right to get angry. Because that injustice is wrong. That injustice doesn't belong in God's kingdom. It is right to be angry with injustice. But what we have to understand is, if all we do is get angry, if all we do is feel something, all of us can look around in the world and go, oh man, we can look online and see all kinds of false outrage over stuff. The point of God's wrath is not false outrage. Think about it like this. We've probably all heard this language that when it comes to activism, you better not just post about it, you better be about it. Because if you just feel angry about an injustice, but you don't pursue a solution, your anger is self-righteous and ultimately unproductive. But you know somebody is serious about an injustice when they do something. So check this. God never just posts about the sin that is fracturing the world. God is actively against sin, and through the cross, God has done something about it. Romans 8 says that it was in the flesh of Jesus that God condemned sin and defeated sin and has promised an ultimate victory over sin. And that comes both through God's love for us and through his wrath against sin that doesn't belong in his kingdom. That is his righteous wrath motivated out of his love for his creation and for you and for me. So back to this passage. We were enemies of God. Why? Because we kept behaving in ways that don't belong in God's kingdom. We acted like we were in charge when in God's kingdom, Jesus is king. We were enemies of God because we put our hope in ourselves or in our relationships or in our achievements or in the idea of humanity's eventual progress to some utopia and we didn't put our hope in God. We were enemies of God because instead of bringing about a world of human flourishing for all, we have brought about a world in which millions live in extreme poverty, in which refugees are displaced, in which children go hungry. And even in our own backyard in Tarrant County, over a quarter million people are below the poverty line. And God looks at all of that and through his 
wrath. He is working to bring renewal, to take those things away. And the scandal of the cross is that God chose to reconcile with enemies like you and me in the midst of our rebellion against him. While we were still sinners, read, while we were still enemies of God, Jesus died for us to reconcile us. This is not God changing his mind about you. This is God redeeming you because that's what he's always wanted. Did you hear that? God didn't need to change his mind about you through the cross. Jesus didn't change God's mind through the cross. Jesus revealed God's heart to save his world. Because God made humanity for relationship. That's why this reconciliation is so important. It is actually a reflection of God's image in and of himself. The divine has been described in the scriptures as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And I'll be the first to say, talking about the Trinity can be so confusing. But part of what it shows us is that from before there was a creation, from before God was known as creator, God was known in the Trinity in holy divine relationship. Father, Son, and Spirit. So that when we were made humans in God's image, part of being in the image of God is to live in relationship with others and with the Lord. Here's what you need to understand. The cross, the cross reconciles us to the first and most important relationship, which is with God. But the cross, just as the design of a cross goes vertical and horizontal, the cross works to bring reconciliation both between us and God and us and others. So the cross, if you're taking notes, is how God creates a new humanity. Too often the way we talk about the cross is exclusively on an individual level. You could even go back at some of, some of this series over the last few weeks and, and uh, I, I might even be guilty of that, of making it too much about what Jesus did for you. When in fact, the reconciliation project God enacted through Jesus reaches into the broken places between individuals because God not only wants to bring reconciliation between us and him, but just as Jesus said the greatest commands weren't just to love God with all you have, but the second is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so, Jesus helps to bring through the cross reconciliation between individuals and even people groups who have experienced some fracturing in a relationship. And the first felt impact for the earliest church when it comes to people groups, was between Jews who perceived themselves as God's only chosen people and Gentiles who were treated as outsiders. This had been the pattern of the Jewish faith. Even in the construction of God's temple, there were all these different walls that communicated who was in and who was out. When you came to the temple, there was an outer court where Gentiles, non-Jews, could uh, could come to congregate, could come to try and worship, and yet they would reach a wall that was only for Jewish men and women to enter. And that wall told a Gentile, you don't belong any closer to God. You'd go inside that wall and there was the court of women where Jewish women were allowed and they'd reach a wall where only Jewish men could go inside and that wall communicated to Jewish women, you don't belong any closer to God. 
Even inside that particular court where there were only Jewish men, there was another inner court that was only for Jewish priests, which told many Jewish men, you don't belong any closer to God, only for these special priests. And what's incredible about what Jesus did through the cross is that he begins to tear down all of these walls. Listen, listen to this in Ephesians 2. You, Gentiles, were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile them both to God through the cross which he put, by which he put to death their hostility." That's what the cross has accomplished. I know the Apostle Paul can write a mouthful, but I'm telling you it's full of good news. Between groups who disagreed, dismissed, and disowned each other, the cross has brought peace. The cross has won forgiveness, not just between God and us, but between us and others. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who helped to lead the Truth and Reconciliation Committee in the wake of the apartheid uh, in South Africa, was quoted as saying, forgiveness is not cheap. It's not easy. Reconciliation is not an easy option. It cost God the death of his son. To believe that reconciliation between different people, groups, and even different individuals is possible through the cross, we have to come back to what Jesus did for us to bring a peace we couldn't bring on our own. And to believe that that peace has been made available through his Holy Spirit, not by human means of trying to to drum myself up so I can decide to forgive somebody, but to believe through the Holy Spirit that Jesus has already provided that forgiveness. As we pursue, even here at the Hill specifically, as we pursue becoming a multi-ethnic church, these words should give us pause. Because reconciliation within the church is only possible through Jesus. And like Jesus, it may cost us something. We may have to let some things inside of us die in order to experience reconciliation. But because of the cross, the church Jesus wants is here now. And yet, the church is learning to become who she already is. Because Jesus wants a church with no dividing wall of hostility. No race-based back row or balcony. No demographic demarcation. No minorities in the margin. But a new humanity with multi-ethnic, multifaceted beauty and equality. That's, what Jesus, that's the church Jesus wants. That is the church Jesus will get in, in the new heavens and the new earth. And that is the church that the Holy Spirit is making today. Which is why the Apostle Paul could write and apply this dividing wall of hostility being torn down, not just to people groups, but look at this in Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all made 
differently, and yet we are all in the image of God, and our differences do not decide where we belong in the kingdom. Our differences do not dictate how close we get to be to God. Instead, we're all one in Christ. Colossians 3 says similarly, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Jesus is the unifying Savior, the reconciling Redeemer. His death is the catalyst. His resurrection is the calling card. And now his church is to be the community of the reconciled and reconciling. And that means that the cross creates a mission of reconciliation for his people. See, the cross doesn't just heal bonds between different people groups or even different individuals. It creates a message of hope for every person and every people group. Because if you put your faith in Christ, you are now part of the reconciled new humanity. There is a new way to operate in in God's kingdom because the old way has been done away with. Listen to these words from 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is why we seek to reach the lost. This is why we proudly support missionaries who serve all around the world and even go to to countries that are considered unreached. This is why we invite people to put their faith in Jesus. Because here's what I want you to understand. We do not just want people to convert to a religion. We want people to be reconciled to their creator. We want people to be reconciled to their original purpose. We want people to be, to be taken out of the old way of doing things and invited into a new humanity in a new kingdom that's offering real hope to the world. And, and one, of the, one of the things that will, again, hit the cringe factor for some is that this is why we hold up the exclusive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That part of the Christian claim is that there's no other means by which this has happened. Now, I know that that's controversial to say in today's society. But there are not, as it has been claimed at different times, there are not multiple ways to God. Now, hear me clearly. There are all kinds of different testimonies, but there's one Savior. There's all kinds of different stories of redemption, but there's one Redeemer. There's all kinds of different ways that people come to faith, but they all come to the same cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the claim of followers of Jesus. This is why we want to reach the world, because we've been given this message. 
And when the message of the cross has embedded itself in us, we will stop at almost nothing to pursue that reconciliation and see it happen. Some of you may know the story of Jim Elliott and some of his uh, friends going to try and reach uh, a group of people called the, Wod- the Wawadani people. They were formerly known as the Akas. It's one of the most compelling stories in modern church history. So Jim Elliott was a college student in the 1950s who found out about this unreached people group, the Wawadani people in the jungles of Ecuador. And after years of trying different ways to try and reach this, this unreached people group, Jim Elliott and his four friends, Nate Saint, Ed McCulley, Pete Fleming, and Roger Udarian, landed their plane on a beach near the Wawadani people to establish contact. According to their journals that were later discovered, uh, the first meeting with the Wawadani actually went pretty well. But at the second meeting on January 8, 1956, a group of Wawadani warriors stabbed all five men to death with their spears and left their bodies floating in a river to be discovered later. A side note, when their bodies were eventually found, all five men were carrying firearms, but not a single bullet had been fired. Why? Well, it was written in one of the men's journals that they had committed to each other that they would never, no matter what happened, fire upon the oncoming tribe because they counted their own lives as worth less than the prospect of reaching the Wa'udani with the gospel. And so they willingly gave their lives. Now, what's amazing is that the story didn't end there. But the Holy Spirit began to do a powerful work in the families uh, who, who were grieving the loss of these five men. And over time, all five of the families of these slain men ended up moving down to Ecuador and living among the Waodani people, ministering to them, building hospitals, building schools, and teaching them the gospel. And yet, that would be amazing enough. But eventually, Steve Saint... The son of Nate Saint, one of the five men killed, led one of the Waodani men to Christ. And that was a man named Menkai. It was later discovered that Menkai was one of the warriors who had speared his father, Nate Saint, on the beach that day. And as if that weren't powerful enough, Menkai, after becoming a Christian, eventually adopted Steve Saint as his tribal son in his family. And Steve Saint's kids grew up knowing Menkai as the grandfather who stands in the place of the one he killed. In fact, I found out that Menkai actually passed away just this last year. And in an obituary, Steve Saint wrote, Yes, he killed my father, but he loved me and my family. And one of my grandsons is named Menkai. How is that possible? Here's how. Because what defines their relationship is not the blood that ran down the spear of Menkai, but the blood that ran down the cross of Jesus Christ. What defines them, and, and when Steve Saint looks at Menkai, his primary thought is not, you shed the blood of my father. His primary thought is, the blood of Jesus was shed for you and for me. These two men from different ethnicities, From different nations, from different families, they share a bloodline in the blood of Christ that makes them one and has reconciled them. 
This is the power of Jesus Christ through the message of his cross. And it's, it is a power we refuse to forget. Because the one who was crucified asked us to remember. And so there's something we do every week as a church. It's in a time we call communion. And what Jesus asked us to do is to remember. To refuse to forget. As a community of Christians, we refuse to forget the one who reconciled us to God. As followers of Jesus, we refuse to forget the cross where his body was broken and his blood was poured out. We refuse to forget the way God restored relationship with us and invited us into the new humanity. And so if you're live at one of our campuses, uh, many already have, but you can do your crinkle fest now. Peel back the first layer reveals this wafer that represents the body of Christ, broken for us. Peel back that second layer representing the blood of Jesus poured out for you and for me and it covers us of our sins that, that then sets us right, removes our guilt. And if you're online, I hope that at this time you've, you've got whatever you're going to use ready as well. But what we're going to do is I'd invite you to take this, remembering the body and blood broken and poured out for you for the reconciliation of you and God, but also the reconciliation of God to all of the world. We do this every week as a church in order in part to do in the Apostle Paul word, Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 11. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus has promised there will be a day where he comes back and the slain lamb will also be the roaring lion of Judah who will set all things right, who through his might and power and wrath will, will get rid of all that's wrong in this world. And in a new heavens and a new earth, the new humanity will live forever in communion with him. But until then, we proclaim the Lord's death, knowing nothing but Christ and him crucified. Let's pray together. Jesus, we praise you as the one who willingly took up the cross. Jesus, we praise you as the one who was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, your obedience brought more reconciliation and redemption and righteousness than our obedience ever could. Jesus, we praise you as the one who is bringing peace into a world full of division and violence. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit to be messengers of reconciliation? And Lord, would your spirit be moving towards those who have yet to put their faith in you?
And would they hear from your word today, be reconciled to God. And until the day you return, help us to proclaim your death, your crucifixion, your body broken, your blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins and to invite us into your kingdom. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the one crucified. Amen.